Welcome to the Project Fitness Podcast for fitness professionals and fitness enthusiasts who want to be better at life. Fitness is the greatest investment of anyone's life. However, it's not easily obtained, and anyone who says different is just plain wrong. Join award-winning personal trainer and strength conditioning coach Chris Fudge every Monday as he explores all aspects of fitness that can lead you to your optimal health. This podcast is brought to you by the Ready State Virtual Mobility Coach. Dr. Sturette is a movement and mobility coach for players in the NFL, MLB, NHL, and NBA, plus a doctor of physical therapy. Kelly has created a program called Virtual Mobility Coach. Every day, Virtual Mobility Coach gives you guided mobility videos. It walks you step-by-step through Kelly's proven techniques to relieve pain, improve range of motion, and improve performance. Try it completely free for two weeks, and if you decide to continue, you can get 10% off for life using the promo code PROJECT10. Hurry up, because the code expires October 1st. Project Fitness Podcast. Today's podcast is a solo podcast. Well, kind of. I had my uh, annual or I had my monthly coaching call that I have with uh, my strength athletes, and usually what I try to do is I try to put in put a bit of a presentation together to go over concepts that they need to be aware of when it comes to lifting technique, exercise, recovery, nutrition, anything that's going to make them better in their gym life or in their sport life. And today, what we talked about is we talked about the Olympics and what I thought were lessons that could have been learned from the Olympics that they can apply into the gym themselves. And it was such a good conversation that uh, I kept the audio of it. And that conversation is the episode today. If you sat down and you watched some of the Olympics, there's probably so many different things we could talk about. There are great learning opportunities for people. There are coachable moments for people. There are motivation moments for people that make you want to get up off the couch, join the gym, join a sport, you know, make a run for it. You got four years till the next summer games. So listen in. This is my presentation I gave to the coaching team. Periodically, you might see me reference them, and there might be um, a couple of people talking as well as you go through. But lessons learned from the 2021 Tokyo Olympics. The Olympics is phenomenal because the Olympics, what the Olympics does, like I'm in the gym all day long. So I see all average people watching the televisions and they're, they're watching the Olympics. And, and what I didn't realize that Orleans, where I'm at, we're full of experts. There's so many experts in Orleans. There's so many. They're sitting on the bike. There's these regular members that they maybe retired for 10 or 15 years. And I did not know they knew all the judging of the gymnastics. I didn't know they knew the rules. I didn't know that all they got to do is say, just land on your feet. Don't land on your ankle. You know, the penalty kicks in soccer and stuff. You know, when they'd say like, why are they doing that? They should just play. And then someone else says, well, there's, there's penalty kicks that happens. Why are they doing that? Well, it's the Olympic version. I'm always scratching my head. Okay. But the gym is just full of all these experts with the Olympics. But what I've noticed in the Olympics, and I I love it, is I go and watch the Olympics from a coaching perspective. I always have my coach's eye on when I watch. So what lessons can we learn from these past Olympics? I'm going to address a few different parts. So I'm going to talk about ownership, pressure, humility, getting into the zone, and then perseverance. And then I'm also going to talk about some of my favorite things that came up. One of the first things that was noticed before the Olympics even started was the American sprinter, Shakari Richardson. She failed a drug test before she even got to the Olympics. 100 meter sprinter, fastest sprint for females. She was going into the Olympics, not pretty much to compete for the gold, 
but everyone else was competing for the silver. That's how much ahead she was than anyone else. She was drug tested prior and tested positive for marijuana. So she was not allowed to go to the Olympics. Now, she admitted to using marijuana, but we can look at this under different parameters and say, you know, what do you look at? Like, what was this a good thing? Was this a bad thing? From a coaching perspective versus a personal perspective, I would look at it totally different. She came out to say that she was using it to help cope with her with, with different uh, mental stresses, relaxation, and so forth. She had some issues going on personally, and she wanted to help use it, and she's used it before. And I believe the state she lives in, it's legal, but in the sport, it's not. From the coaching perspective, it, it's not allowed in the sport. So even in powerlifting, you know, marijuana is not allowed in contest. It's allowed out of contest, but it's not allowed in contest. When you use marijuana, it then stays in your system for 20, 30, 40 days, depending on what you took, how much body fat you have, a few other different things. But regardless, it's illegal in contest. She took it. She's the best on the planet going into this event. The chances of her being tested are probably pretty high. So she failed it. So one of the things that anybody can look at is, is the concept of ownership. Admitting that you did something wrong, which she did, but she has to then also say, is it worth it for me? And if it is worth it, no problem. But if it's not worth it, you just don't do it. If you rewind about four years ago, Canada had a really good powerlifter. Canada powerlifter that got a silver medal at the Worlds three years in a row and a bronze on the, the fourth year could never beat one man. No one could beat this one man. He would win by 100 kilos over everyone. Our Canadian athlete tested positive for nine anabolics, banned for four years. The year he tested positive at Worlds that year, the one person who he could never beat bombed out on squats. So what's the lesson? It was there for him if he hadn't gone that route before. So I think that, you know, from a coaching perspective, when we look at these things, we got to say, is it worth it for you? And is it not? And then make a decision from there. So that's one thing I think we can all look at here is that when you're competing in a sport, you need to be aware of the rules. And there is a component there. There is a part that it's on you. You got to take responsibility. You got to know the rules. And if you break a rule, it's your fault. The second thing I'd like to address is the concept of pressure. And there was a gymnast, the American gymnast, Simone Biles. And I talked about that just on my social media the other week because I was having a conversation a lot with people that I train in person, that's people in my area. And everyone was very quick to say that Simone Biles was, you know, like a weak-minded person because she, she dropped out of the Olympics. She dropped out of you know, a couple events because she wasn't feeling herself. She had like mental stress and then there was like an injury issue and then she couldn't handle the pressure. And some people were saying like, how dare she do that? You know, she's taking a spot someone else could do. And they say she's really selfish and she's not doing it. Well, have you ever had that pressure? Has any of us had that type of pressure? So what, what do all of us do? We, we lift weights in front of people. And the only people who really know how good we are or how much are our circle of people right? Maggie has no idea what I lift, just so you know. She has no idea. I could come home and be like, hey, hon, I squatted 100 kilos. She said, That's amazing. No clue. 
no clue. Hey, I scored a 400 kilo, kilos. Oh, good for you. Um, do you get groceries? She has no care, doesn't care to. In our circle, we know what each other lifts about, and we know where we are related to other people about. But on the world stage, definitely no one knows what we really lift. The pressure is totally different. If you are a professional athlete, you get different chances to prove yourself. So I gave an example on social media. I talked about the NBA, the NFL, you know, LeBron James going to take the game-winning shot. He misses it on Tuesday. He's playing again on Thursday. He can take the shot again, right? He missed it on Thursday. Guess what? He's going to play again on Saturday. He's going to get that chance again. You know, Tom Brady, same thing. Tiger Woods, he's going to get more major championships. These pro athletes who compete at the highest level, they get more chances. Simone Biles competes every four years. Every four years, the Olympics. Now, I know she has like international competitions, like the, the Worlds and stuff, but she's so far ahead of anyone. Those are just practice. But every four years, she is up in front of the entire world. And pro athletes will compete for their team. Simone Biles competes for her country. Her country and the world expect her not to win, but to be perfect. Because she scored perfect before. So now that is a whole new level of pressure. Throw into the mix that when she does a routine, she goes for, what is it? You know, 80 seconds, 90 seconds, like depending on which part she's doing, when other sports last for sometimes 40 minutes to three hours. And then the entire world, boom, is right on her. So her level of pressure is totally different than anyone else's. Even though she's had a lot of practice at it, it's still going to be hard for her. She ended up coming back. She did a last event there. But what I loved about it, what I loved she did, because she was also like having these like these twisties and stuff. She was getting dizzy. And I guess uh, she couldn't find her, herself by jumping off the, the balance beam, which, you know, all the guys in my gym on the bike in the morning, according to them, it's not that hard. It's not that hard to walk on a balance beam and do a backflip. But what she did was she changed her game plan. I don't know if everyone's aware of this. She got a bronze medal because she changed her routine. And part of the scoring is based on the difficulty. So she tuned down the difficulty to still compete and still walk away with a medal. So I think that's pretty cool, especially in the sport of, of things like powerlifting or the gym. When we go into the gym, we're not going to be 100% every day. So what we need to do is we need to tune the workout for the day. Simone did the same thing. She just changed her game plan and was totally okay with taking a bronze medal. And I thought that was pretty cool because, I mean, she had nothing to prove, you know, at the level that she's already done that. So from like a coaching perspective, I thought, I thought that was pretty cool. At the same time, from a coaching perspective, you always want to make sure that the athlete feels safe and confident in what they're doing. So for everyone here, you know, when you've worked with me live, I always say, do you think you can do this? And if you don't think you can do this, walk away. We're dropping the weight. You have to know you can do this before you even attempt it. If you go into attempt to lift with hope, it's not horseshoes, it's not the lotto. You have to know if you can do this and have the confidence or you're going to get hurt. So if you're going to flip upside down 12 times and you don't feel confident you're going to land on your feet, you probably shouldn't do this. So from a coaching perspective, I would never ask any of you to do something when you didn't feel confident or you didn't feel safe doing it. So that was one of the takes that I got from the small bio scenario. Women's soccer. 
I thought the women's soccer was so cool. So what was the big take on the women's soccer? Oh, they won the gold medal. They beat the U.S. Oh, they never done this before. Oh, phenomenal. Women's soccer is finally doing something well. I didn't see any of that. I didn't see any of that at one point. I saw Christine Sinclair. The women's captain who's been playing soccer for two decades. And it was the most decorated soccer player, you know, in, in women's soccer internationally. She's won everything but the gold medal. She's got the most goals. She's done it all. She's played the longest. Have you ever seen how she interacts with her team? She is a captain's captain. She is one of the greatest captains I've ever seen because of the amount of humility she has. When they win in any level that they win, she is never saying, I did this. I did this. She scored game winners many times. She goes, oh, I scored the game winner. I'm very happy for me. No, no. She says, we came through as a team. We did this. Our goalie was killing it. You know, we got the penalty here. It's always we, 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 we. And she talks about her team. What happened in the, in the American game? She had a penalty kick and she missed it. Then she gets another attempt, gives it to another player on the team. So no, you take this. Anybody with an ego would look at that as an opportunity to bounce back, an opportunity to say, I can do this. I am the best. She took her ego, which she doesn't even really have, and said, We're, we need to win this. So we need to put someone better than me in position right now to score this goal. And she didn't care what that meant for her legacy or anything. She just wanted to win as the team. So as a coach, I'm sitting back and I'm like, that's awesome. If more people acted like that, like team sports would be way more encouraging and way more exciting for athletes to get into. She didn't care if she scored the goal. She didn't care about making up for a miss. She wanted the team to win. She put the right person in the position at the right time. And if you've ever gone back, have you ever seen that what she says when, when Canada loses soccer games, she always says it's her fault. When they lose, it's her fault. When they win, it's the team. I thought that was a pretty cool thing. And then when they finally got the gold, same thing. At no point did she say, I'm glad I played well. I'm glad I, I, I. No, no, it was, it was we, we, we. She was happy for the team. So humility, I thought, was a really cool component there with the, the women's soccer. Did anybody see the sprinting? 100-meter sprint, 200-meter sprint. Used to be like, you know, the biggest event of the Olympics. They usually have them on the last night. The, the, the stadiums usually have 65,000 people. And, you know, in the last, you know, two or three summer games, you always knew who was going to win anyway. But this year was kind of a toss-up. You didn't know who was going to be the winner. And Andre DeGrasse, I thought it was pretty cool what he did in the 200 meters. Now, if you've watched the Olympics beforehand and you knew that Usain Bolt was going to, everyone knew Usain Bolt was going to win. The level of confidence Usain Bolt had before every race was through the roof right? He would always be like joking and stuff, laugh, and he throws a wink to the crowd. Sometimes he'd flex those long skinny arms. He'd just do like these goofy things, but you knew that he knew he was going to win. And sprinters are a unique breed of people. I used to run track and you need to have that. You need to have the big ego. But this year it was kind of wide open. You didn't know who was going to win. There's no one really favored to win it. So Andre de Grasse, when he won the, the, the 200 meters, he's the only guy before the meet that reminded me of Usain Bolt. So when they're on the blocks before, uh, you know, they had to take their stance, he's standing there and he's like shadow boxing. 
He's like, I see him do like a little shadow boxing move. And he seems to be having like a pretty good time. Like he's in it. Everyone else just seemed a bit nervous. And then sure enough, he wins the 200. Did anybody see what he said afterward? Anyone see his interview or one of his interviews? He continually said, I'm proud of myself. I'm so proud of myself. I'm so proud of myself. He trained twice a day, six days a week for five years for that moment. Twice a day, six days a week. Not for four years because of COVID, everything got pushed back for five years. For what? 19 seconds? For one opportunity? So how many times do you think during that duration, he said, I don't want to go and work out. I don't want to train. I don't want to do it. When he got on the blocks and he had all that confidence, he knew the work that he had put in. He had prepared. And because he had all that preparation, he had the confidence to know he was going to win it, like Usain Bolt used to. So from a coaching perspective, he's the only guy that stuck out. I was watching it. I saw that guy, he's ready to go. He's, he's in the zone today. And then sure enough, he gets the win. Then afterwards, he said, I'm proud of myself. I'm proud of myself because of the work he did because he knew he put it in. So when it comes to, you know, our training, you know, there's something called like the five P's. So it's like proper planning prevents poor performance. So for all of us here, when we have our workouts and stuff, you know, I take care of that. Sometimes I take care of it too far in advance. Sometimes a day, not so smooth, but you know, I try to do that for you. And then you got to take care of your side of it. You need to make sure that, you know, you owned your sleep or you tell me about your sleep and we modify it. You've owned your nutrition or we modify it. You, you want to go for a bike ride for three weeks and then come back to the gym. We're going to, we're going to adjust things based on the bike ride, right? But the proper planning allows you to prevent any poor performance. So I, I really liked watching him, especially when he came and said his, his speech at the end there. I'm so proud of myself. And then my favorite part of the entire Olympics, I didn't really learn so much of this, but I just, I sat back and I was in awe, was Safan Hassan. She is the distance runner. She triple medaled in the 1500, the 5000 and the 10,000. Now, uh, if you know the basics of energy systems, you have an energy system that allows you to go really long. And at the genetic outliers, you're going to be your distance runner. Then you have an energy system that allows you to go really fast. Genetic outlier, you're going to be your sprinter. And then you're going to be an outlier for every distance in between. So 400s, 400 meter runners don't run 200. 400 meter runners might run 800, but they're not going to be very good at it. An 800 meter runner might run a 1500, but they're going to be really good at one and kind of okay at the other. The 5,000 and 10,000, they stay together. You never do a 1500 and a 5,000. It's, it's, too, it's too much of a gap. She won all three. Well, she got two golds and one bronze, but she medaled in all three. I don't remember anyone doing that in all the years that I've been into track. So it really goes to show that she is an absolute special human being. But what was also really cool was she fell on the last lap of one of her heats. So she had to place based on time in the heat to get to the finals in the 1500. She fell with three quarters of a lap to go. So 1500 meters, she's down to 300. She gets knocked down and she's dead last. So she's got 300 meters to make up and pass the other 10 athletes. And she does. She comes from behind and just blasts past everyone to qualify, which then allowed her to get into the championship event and then actually walk away with a bronze medal. 
I mean, like if we were all at the Olympics and we fell, we wouldn't just, you know, like stop. Of course, we'd all get up and keep going, but we'd all probably be like, yeah, I'm, I'm done. Like this, like the chance of me finishing this well is pretty low. But what you never saw on her face, and this is what I noticed when I watched the videos, you never saw a panic. You never saw her eyes leave vertical. She was never like not looking straight ahead. So she falls down. She didn't look to the side to like look for a coach or help and be like, what should I do? She hit the ground. She looked up. She looked forward exactly where she needed to go. And she was right into it. She didn't miss it. So when it comes to things like, like perseverance, I thought that was just so cool that she knew exactly what she needed to do. So some of you in here have done this in things like powerlifting meets. Some of you have done this in the gym. When you may rack, you may uh, have the wrong weight on the bar. Wrong weight on the bar, you stand up, you're like, oh, this feels funny, you rack it. What do you do? You, t- you walk over, you adjust the weight, you get underneath the bar, you go again. Lizanne, we were to meet uh, a bunch of years back and she's on the platform and then her wrist wrap pops off and there's something like that. And they're like, get off the platform. And she's like, okay. So she gets off. She takes it off. She puts it back on. She goes back on. Like it was nothing like cool and calm, knew exactly what she needed to do, not knowing that there was about six seconds left to get the start command. And I'm off to the side. I'm like, hurry, hurry, hurry. But it's because auto-regulated because she's done it so much. So Safan Hassan was very similar athlete. She just knew what she had to do, didn't get distracted, got up and went again. So when it comes to things like quitting, she didn't quit at all. And I love that. I loved watching that. Now, the last thing I want to talk about with the Olympics was did anybody see the high jumpers, the two high jumpers who shared the gold medal? I didn't even know this was a rule. I didn't know this was even possible in, in high jump, but essentially if it comes down to the final two and no one's made a fault up until their third attempt jump, the options, if they choose not to continue to have a jump off, they can just split the, the medal. I thought it was pretty cool because the Olympics really takes advantage of athletes. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, depending on what country you're in, if you win a medal, you get some bucks. If you're in Canada and you get a gold, bronze or silver, you get a few bucks and a Cheerios deal, nothing heavy. If you're in Russia, you get a pension for the rest of your life, like you're set. Hence why their Gatorade would be different than ours, or there's more at stake for them to win. And uh, these two guys from different countries, I think one was from Italy and uh, I don't know where the other guy was from, but they were friends. So they would train randomly when they could train together and stuff. So they knew right away that they could share the gold. And they would actually be able to kind of stick it to the Olympics and still get the money from the gold for their countries. So it would make their lives a lot easier. They'd be gold medal champions. And, and they were just friends. And then I was like, you know, you know, some of my close friends, I would love to share, you know, medals with them. Some, you know, I'm a little competitive. I'd be like, no, I have to beat you. I wouldn't want to share with you. But for the majority of my friends, but yeah, it'd be kind of cool to do that. So for me, I thought that was a really cool takeaway of the Olympic is just seeing that, um, is that, that friendship the companionship when it comes to like, if you win, I win and it feels good. And when we're on the platform, sometimes the same thing happens. If you're at a meet where nothing really matters and you see someone else, you know, hit a PR, it feels good because you know exactly what that's like and you know what goes into it. And then when you see someone at another meet again and again and again, and years down the road and you're seeing them hit PRs and it's been five years and they're still hitting PRs, you know, it means a little bit more because it's a lot harder to, as you go on. So some of the lessons that, that, that I saw from a coaching perspective at these Olympics, I think can be applied to the sport of powerlifting, can be applied to gym exercise, can be applied to our day-to-day life. If you want to share gold medals. At this point in the coaching call, I asked anyone if they had any questions or they want to talk about uh, what I just mentioned. And someone brought up 
I was really surprised with how many injuries happen at the Olympics and how many athletes get injured and they keep on training and they keep on going and they still compete. So next is going to be my answer on injuries in the Olympics. Um, and, and that was kind of my take on the last, uh, the last two weeks here. Was there anything else that stuck out to anyone that you sat back and you're like, oh, wow, that was so cool. I never even thought of it. Yeah, you don't, you don't, you don't become an Olympic athlete without an injury. Like I just, you just don't. I mean, I don't know if anyone watched the, um, uh, um, the discus and the hammer throws, but the day the discus and hammer was going on. So what you do is you, you throw on a solid circle. It's a cement circle and it's got a little bit of an elevation like this. And it's like polished down to be a certain way. And they put this little grit thing on it. So it gives a little bit of grip. It was raining. It was raining. And they had to try to spin as hard as they can and toss something, right? So what you were noticing is as they do the rotation, the spin, they plant the foot and they lose it and they bust into the Michael Jackson. So a lot of them who are trying to create as much rotational strength, rotational force with a solid leg would fall into the splits or the partial splits. Well, you're at the Olympics. What do you do? You say, like, oh, it's wet. I'm not going to go. No, you get up and, and you try it again. Everyone's under the same parameters. And when it comes to injuries, you're going to get an injury while training to, to be the best in the world or be the best you possibly can. I think what's really cool about it when you talk to a lot of the athletes, if you could talk, and I've, I've messaged a bunch of trying to get different athletes to come on the podcast, just ask them some of the stuff. But I think that what they would do is they would say, yeah, when I had this injury, I learned from this injury. And now I know not to do it. So like Andre de Grasse with his hamstring tears, I'm sure him and his team know, you know, what splits does he run? How much volume can he take? What happens when his speed drops here? How does his sleep affect? And they say, this, this is what causes his injury. So we got to keep him training just below that. And like I said, I think you think you'd find most of the athletes would figure out exactly what, what can they do? What can't they do? What should they do? What shouldn't they do? Um, I don't know if it's a learning opportunity, but the, U.S. female um, track star, Alison Felix. So she's like the most, I think she's the most decorated, I think it might be woman or man in track and field, Olympic track and field now because she just won her 11th medal. And she's gone through like, between the last two Olympics, she had a baby, mm. <laughs> she had a two-year-old, and she had to recover from that and come back and still win a bronze medal at this Olympics. And um, just... It's amazing. Yeah. Like you said, the body coming back from an injury, coming back from childbirth can do that. Right. And there was also some issues in terms of, uh, she was sponsored by Nike when she came back at first, they only, they were going to have to re-sponsor her at only 70% of what she had before because they didn't think she could win again. So she changed and went to, I don't know who else, but some other sponsor. And since then Nike has added something to their contracts for their female athletes. And if they do go up and have a baby that they won't, you know, like they continue or that if, even if they don't do as well, they will um, maintain their sponsorship. Yeah. Maintain their sponsorship and pay them as much, you know, still pay them. Um, so that was really interesting that she was able to come back and do that. And that at the same time, she kind of changed the way some of the sponsorships happen. Someone has to set the precedent, right? And un unfortunately you have to be the exception to make that happen. I hope she signed with Adidas. Good for her. I would have done the same thing, <laughs> but um Actually, I saw a photo of her last night. I was looking at a photo of her and she's sitting there with, I think like a 11 medals on and stuff. And she's got a top on and then she's got like her pants pulled down and you can see her C-section scar. So she's sitting there with all these medals and you can see the scar. And I'm like, that's, that's pretty badass. But 
So to conclude this episode, what lessons were learned from the Olympics from a coaching perspective? This can be applied to life, can be applied to the gym, can be applied to work, can be applied to powerlifting. We talked about ownership, taking ownership and responsibility, knowing what the rules are in the sport, knowing what you want to do, and then also being okay with whatever happens once you've taken ownership on what you've done. We also talked about pressure and how pressure affects people differently, and not everybody's under the same type of pressure. And sometimes someone's under a lot more pressure than you think. And when you're sitting back watching these freak of athletes, the best athletes on the planet, some of the best athletes in the world, and you're watching them from your couch through the television, you know, think twice before you judge them. Their pressure might be a little different than yours. We talked about being in the zone and why the five P's are important. And when you put in the time, you put in the work, you can expect the result. We also talked about humility and what I think is a phenomenal attributes as a captain for a team sport and how you take responsibility when your team loses and you celebrate your team when they win. We talked about perseverance and how it doesn't matter what position you are. You stick to the game plan. You continue to try because you only know for sure you'll lose if you don't try. So that is the lessons learned from the 2021 Tokyo Olympics. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. And I'll see you soon. Never stop learning because life never stops teaching. If you've learned at least one thing from this podcast and your mission is to help other people, please share this podcast with them. And a reminder... We will be releasing one episode every Monday for the entire year. So make sure to hit subscribe so you get the updated information as soon as possible. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. And thank you so much for allowing me to be part of it.